it's not just unscientific, but it is also unethical. And it's sort of that double whammy that really irks me, not just as a scientist, but as a, but as a human being. This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, brought to you by the Fur Bearers. This week's episode features an important topic that requires your action. You can very literally make a difference in how wolves and coyotes are treated in northern Ontario by adding your name. So, while you listen or after, check out the show notes. Those are the links in the blog or app you're using to listen to this episode. And click the link to take action with Earthroots. I also wanted to let you know that patrons are going to get an amusing outtake from this episode and potentially a look at some of the art projects I've been working on as part of my self-care. Check out patreon.com slash Defender Radio to find out how you can support the show for as little as 25 to 50 cents per episode. Now, let's get into it. The Ontario government is considering liberalizing wolf and coyote hunting in northern Ontario in a bid to increase moose hunting opportunities. But their own science and facts indicate that killing more canids won't have the impact they want, making this an entirely political policy. The issue isn't just about wolves and coyotes and moose, though. It's about understanding what is being said by those affected in Ontario by the climate crisis and a rapidly changing ecosystem. It's about learning to bring science to story and story to science to ensure that we're doing what's best for people in Ontario, as well as the individual animals and the infinitely complex ecosystem that we all share. To dive into the policy, the history, the science, and the difficult ethical conversations, Defender Radio was joined by Hannah Barron, Director of Wildlife Conservation Campaigns for Earthroots. I was trying to think of the best place to start on this one, and it's a little complicated because there is history to it, but I think we should start at where we're at right now, and that's with a recommendation of the Big Game Management Advisory Committee um, to the Ontario Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry um, on this new system for hunting wolves and coyotes um, in what they call an attempt to protect wolves or help, uh, not wolves, help moose. So could you focus us in a little bit on what we're dealing with today in terms of the advocacy issue? And then we can kind of go back through the history of it. Sure. Uh, yeah, I guess it is sort of a complex set of regulatory changes that they've proposed. And they're doing wolf and coyote proposals alongside some changes that they're proposing for moose. So it's sort of going part and parcel. And the reason that they're doing that is because the Big Game Management Advisory Committee uh, had a bunch of meetings all over Ontario to ask moose hunters what they were concerned about um, because they were hearing that people did not have enough opportunities to to kill moose to hunt moose. So part of the part of what they heard sort of on repeat was there are too many wolves, there are too many coyotes, and um, we think that this is limiting for moose, and we want to be able to kill more of them. So part of the proposal to change wolf and coyote regulations. Uh, it's just for hunting, it's not to do with trapping, mm -hmm. but basically it's going to open up coyote hunting throughout the north. There will be no bag limits, which means that hunters can kill as many coyotes as they want. There's only a very short closed season, and that closed season only exists because the licensing already has a closed season. 
Um, so it's not specifically to protect coyotes whatsoever. And uh, in terms of what wolf hunting is going to be like, it's, they, they still have a bag limit. Hunters will only be able to kill two wolves per year. Uh, and they do have a closed season during when the wolves will be having their pups and raising their pups when they're most vulnerable. Uh, but for both wolves and coyotes, I think the most glaring change to me is that there will be no reporting. So small game hunters who no longer need to buy a game seal, no longer being tracked by the number of game seals being purchased, uh, will no longer have to tell the government how many they're killing. So to me, proposing this regulatory change allegedly to help boost moose, but being unable to track the impact of what those changes might be because you're not even counting how many are being killed doesn't make any sense. It's not scientific. And that's what we see with a lot of these types of changes, particularly in my experience when we're talking about predators. Um, it's very often a reactionary thing rather than a, we are seeing, like even if we use the example of the BC wolves um, that are being uh, called for caribou herds, there's at least an internal logic there. Now, the science, of course, has disproved it, and we know what the real cause is, which also brings us back to, let's talk about moose populations um, in Ontario. What are the biggest threats to moose? Well, I think, so I think there are a lot of things affecting moose. We don't have a really good handle about all of those different interacting factors, but there's a long list. Um Basically, moose are have evolved to deal with lots of snow and very cold temperatures. They need the cold to survive. Um, but other animals like deer, which bring parasites that affect moose and also compete um, apparently, which means basically if you have a lot of deer, you have usually more wolves or other predators and therefore uh, more predation on other ungulates like moose in the area. Um, but those animals are used to sort of warmer temperatures. So as climate change is going to be shifting vegetation, shifting precipitation and shifting temperatures, we're going to see a lot more overlap between deer and moose, especially in the south. Um, but we're looking at moose sort of across Ontario and they're doing okay in the southern area of their range, which is a little bit surprising, but they're doing poorly in some specific areas of Ontario and elsewhere in North America, in many areas, they're endangered and doing very poorly for a variety of reasons, whether that is epizootic events, which basically means uh, really high parasite loads, unusually high, usually due to some sort of warm winter, uh, because they, they have several important parasites, the most important being winter tick and brain worm. Both of those things also are on deer, um, and to a lesser extent, liver fluke, which is only really around the Great Lakes, but also comes from deer. And it's interesting because deer are really not impacted negatively by these parasites, whereas the moose are. So the moose are basically feeling the brunt of climate change here relative to other ungulates on the landscape. And that's the most important thing that we have to consider when we're looking at sort of what's going on with moose, is that there are a lot of things going on with moose and they seem to be most vulnerable. Well, and what's interesting too is, um, and I know it's not a direct correlation, but we're talking more and more about how an important role coyotes play in keeping certain tick populations down um, because they will hunt the carrier species. So mice and other rodents. Uh, it's just, it's, it's another one of these examples though, of this is a very complex subject. Uh, as you said, we don't fully understand a lot of the, the, the variables still, we haven't done the work to figure it out. So it does seem 
not only premature, but frankly irresponsible to be going in and kind of mucking about when we don't know what impact we're going to have. I think that a lot of the species that we're looking at in this system are well studied, but we have a tendency as scientists to oversimplify predator prey or even just looking at single species at a time rather than looking at the full community and what's happening there. And I think that's sort of where the research fails us because we can't get the answers to the questions that we're looking for because the systems are so complex. Uh, We are just people trying to figure out all of those interactions really and what bearing they have on our ability to, you know, set hunting quotas. So that oversimplification really fails us and it certainly seems to be failing the moose. And now apparently it may be also failing our predator guild. Uh, and to oversimplify then the the request of this committee that's making the recommendation is they want to kill more moose. Right. That's at the uh, end of the want- day that's what it's about. Yeah, I think that there is a a lot of uh, moose hunters are really concerned because uh, when they apply for a draw in the draw to get a tag, uh, they they you know some people have applied ten years in a row and never gotten a tag, and so they see some of their neighbors getting tags and they haven't had one for a decade and they feel like it's very unfair. So there have been a lot of interesting proposals for the moose hunting regulations that I think will increase fairness between hunters. I think it's going to address a lot of their concerns, but. I think it's also important to point out that the big game management and uh, big game management advisory committee, mm-hmm. um, they basically came out and said, we've heard from moose hunters that they're concerned about wolves and coyotes. Therefore, we're proposing that you liberalize regulations. Uh, the government, the Ontario government has already proposed this in the past and subsequently abandoned it. And it's because the science says that uh, if you're just going to liberalize hunting of wolves a little bit, it's probably not going to have any benefit to moose uh, because sort of you're looking basically at the social structure of the wolves. So as pack animals, they are hunting moose. They typically hunting young moose. They typically hunt moose in not great shape because they're easier to take down for such a formidable prey. And uh, what ends up happening is that um, a large wolf pack sort of takes say, X amount of moose. But if you're making a wolf pack a little bit smaller, which is what you do when you're hunting, because you typically can't hunt out a whole pack, and certainly the regulations forbid that, although trapping doesn't. But anyway, so if hunting is only reducing a a few wolves from sort of the big family that's hunting together, they actually don't hunt that fewer moose overall. Basically, they just spread around the food a little bit better and keep hunting at relatively the same rate. So overall, the... A number of moose killed by a smaller, a slightly smaller wolf population is not going to be that much less. And it basically would need to be a lot less if the moose are going to be benefited by this kind of proposal, if you're looking at it from that perspective. And you're, you know, ignoring the whole issue of is killing a large number of predators good for an ecosystem, which I would argue it is not. Well, yeah. And I think that's, you know, <clears throat> the science has come pretty clear that while we may not have the answers, we certainly know that trying to eliminate predators does not fix anything. Um, sort of across the board, the only thing it ever fixes is reducing the number of predators for the convenience of humans. And um, it's very short term, right? We, yeah. we always forget, I think, that um, especially socially reproducing uh, and, and hunting animals like wolves and coyotes, they bounce back numerically really quick after we kill huge numbers of them off. So... 
there's always that working to the advantage of these people who are arguing that it's important to kill off huge numbers of wolves and coyotes that we can never really get rid of the wolves and coyotes, which is often what people want to do. And that resiliency ends up basically being a biological condemnation that we take advantage of, right, when we're persecuting these animals. But it also, somehow we never learn the lesson that as much as we want to kill and try to kill these animals, we actually don't end up really reaching any of the objectives we want. Or, you know, if you're if you're trying, so as if you're doing something really wild, like in BC and Alberta, where they're shooting wolves from helicopters for the sake of tiny uh, groups of caribou, you have to eliminate basically the entire predator guild before caribou see any benefit. Yep. And that's just ecologically catastrophic. Yeah, right now they're talking, uh, and this was last week's episode of the show, um, they're talking about at least 80% of wolves in the targeted region as well as cougars. And I like I we, we can look to the example of Algonquin where there is, I know there is some debate as to the exact nature of the role of wolves, but we do know they eliminated predators and things got bad. And we know in other regions, when we've eliminated predators, things get bad. Um, so I, I, I don't understand why it's still a conversation, I guess. Um, that's that's it's, it's hard to sort of like if you were explaining this to someone for the first time, how how can anyone possibly indicate that? Yeah, we got to go kill more wolves so we can access more moose. Well, why do you want more moose? so We can kill them like it, it doesn't the, the logic doesn't track. Yeah, I think it just goes back to us looking at one species at a time, you know what I mean? And forgetting about the rest. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what's so dangerous. Now, one of the things I, and I'm going to ask this question, and I, I'm curious as to how you're going to respond. Something I see a lot from, and again, my my time is mostly spent with trappers, um, as you know. But there's frequently this, well, there's too many wolves, and we need to reduce the wolves. Or there's too many coyotes, and we need to reduce the coyotes. And the question I ask that always goes unanswered is, okay, how many is the right number? So is there, and, and they, they claim this is based on science, that we need to maintain population. So from a scientific point of view, is there a magic number when we're talking about this kind of stuff, when we're talking about any kind of lethal control? Well, I mean, a magic number only exists relative to what the objective is, and those objectives are dependent on other species and their numbers. So I would say that there's never any magic number, especially when you're just looking at one population at a time. But what we do know about wolves across Ontario is that their densities, like the overall number of wolves per specific area, is extremely variable because Ontario has a lot of different types of landscapes, a lot of different types of prey guilds, you know, in some areas almost no moose in some areas, um, lots of deer, some beavers are spread out differently. And so you, you really have to look at the landscape level in order to figure out things like predation rate and the cumulative impacts of the various factors affecting moose and, and how many are surviving and how many calves are being recruited into the population. So it, when it comes to lethal control of predators, usually there is a magic number that is floated around um, but it's relative to whatever the objective is that you're killing wolves for. So for caribou, I think they they want wolf density to be three wolves per thousand square kilometers. Um, but in some areas of Ontario, there are no wolves per square kilometers. And in other areas, the packs are bigger. And it's usually because the prey have been doing very well, in which case we don't need to worry in those areas. 
Uh, and I think that it's wrong to look for that magic number. But I will say that in this proposed regulatory change, there is no magic number floated around. It's just basically the government is saying moose hunters are concerned. So we're going to let them have their way, even though we present the reasons that liberalizing wolf hunting and letting people kill as many coyotes as they want is not going to help moose. We're just doing it to please the hunters because they're concerned. Yeah, so they're not coming out and saying it's scientific, right? which is why we were able to get them to abandon this last time they proposed it. And I want to look back to that in a second, but I did just look up because I was curious, talking about the cost of a wolf or a coyote tag, um, and they're saying like they want to eliminate barriers. A wolf or coyote tag for select wildlife management units is $11.36 currently. Yes, for uh, residents. Yeah, so it's not exactly like there's a lot of money involved. No, um, no, there isn't. Um, I was actually surprised when they said they were going to get rid of the tags because, I mean, they're making roughly $50,000 a year, a year uh, on resident tags, the ones that cost $11 each. Mm -hmm. I think about 4,500 tags are purchased every year. Uh, a hunter can purchase up to two, but it doesn't have to purchase any, you know, but they need a tag to be able to kill a wolf or a coyote. Um, but uh, non-resident tags cost a lot more. $280 per tag. So they're they're not they're not proposing to get rid of the non-resident tags, only the resident tags. But in my mind, it's a tiny fee, you know what I mean? I don't think that $11 is getting in the way of people being able to afford to kill wolves and coyotes. I don't think it has to do really about the money. Yeah. And that's, you know, and then we start looking again, you know, your small game license for one year is $25.72. Um a moose license and tag is $56.83, but going in for a draw application, there's no fee. Like, I, I don't know. I When we start talking about the money of it, too, it gets very complicated because in the United States, there's actually protocol that all of this money has to go back into conservation. I don't know that that exists in Canada the same way. Well, we have a, what's called a special purposes account in Ontario, and that's where all of the um, angling, hunting and trapping license fees and tag fees go into this account. And that account is used for, I think they call it conservation, but that's a, a lot of things. It goes back into hunter education. It goes back into uh, the servicing of the ability to get those tags and whatnot. Yeah. It goes yeah. back into research. It goes back into policy. So it feeds back into the same animals that people want to kill, because that's the only thing that we ever manage or conserve, if you want to use those words, is things that people want to kill. Um, but yeah, it, it is used sort of generally back for those animals, but it's not used for the betterment of the ecosystem or sort of broad, broader conservation work. Yeah. Um, and while $50,000 isn't a lot of money, that does pay to have a research assistant, maybe out in oh, the field sure. trying yeah. to count things like it it actually would have some potential use it's not a lot but in this uh, era in this government right now any amount of money is is helpful um i had a brilliant follow-up question for that and it's completely gone so <laughs> let's circle back to the last time this happened because as we said this isn't the first time this proposal has come forward uh, maybe in this exact iteration, but it's not the first time they've talked about liberalizing wolf and coyote hunting. And I believe the last time it was also in relation to moose populations. It was. So the the what's called the Moose Project was started, I think, in 2015. And it was basically moose were doing poorly in other jurisdictions in North America and moose hunters were complaining. And 
um, we found out through research and aerial surveys and whatnot that the ministry does that moose were doing a bit poorly or very poorly in some specific parts of northern Ontario. So all those things came together and resulted in what's called the Moose Project, which was basically a number of regulatory decisions and consultation periods all about making hunters happy and making our moose healthier. Um, and so when that came around, as it almost always does in any kind of management or conservation of ungulate species, uh, the predators always come up. And so they proposed this exact same um, set of regulatory changes, except for I think that there was they were still going to keep reporting, whereas this time they're just getting rid of the reporting requirements entirely. Uh, so it's even worse this time around. But they they provided hunters and the public with the exact same information about you know, how uh, hunting more wolves probably not going to do anything for moose. Here's what's actually affecting moose. Here's what we think is impacting moose. And here's what we're going to do about it in terms of moose hunting. Um, and so they've basically just been building on those changes. And so they've regulated, you know, the length of time per year that um, moose hunters can go out and they're trying to time it better so that uh, there's more natural reproduction before we're going out there and hunting moose. Um, and they're also looking at restricting calf hunting, which is something that we never did before, because they're noticing in some areas that the recruitment of calves into the population, basically calves surviving enough to become adult moose, is like very low, too low, um, which is destabilizing those populations. And they also learned in an area where they were researching um, the sort of large dynamics between predators and prey around Algonquin and um, west of Algonquin was that when we always thought that hunting calves, uh, moose calves, was sort of just like regular natural mortality for them. Um, and it compensated for natural mortality. But what we realized is that it's additive, it's on top of natural mortality. And that's because when you're killing a calf that uh, has been basically looked after so well by its mother for a number of months, that female moose that was looking after her calf has suffered a lot in terms of trying to keep it alive and a lot of energy output to keep yeah. it like lactation and everything. Um, and then all of a sudden, even after all of that effort, all those, uh, all that energy being used, she still doesn't get to recruit a calf into the population. So she goes into the next season, potentially in poor body shape. So we didn't really realize that our impact of um, calf hunting was probably a lot more significant than what we thought uh, versus say, you know, natural predators usually killing moose calves when they're very young and the mother kind of bouncing back from that and then being able to just look after herself for the whole summer into the fall that's before she breeds again. That's very tragic too, especially when you consider that, you know, ungulates we, we know have emotional connections. Um, like the, the, I, I know there's no hard science. I don't think there's hard science on this, but if you think about the grief that we know other non-human animals can suffer uh, and you consider that these animals could as well, that's something, I mean, again, it's not scientific for me to say this by any stretch, but it certainly is worth consideration as part of an ethical argument. Oh, of course. I think that, um, I mean, any, any nat natural or human caused death of an animal, of course, impacts those surviving animals, especially when there's a strong maternal connection. It's really interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, one of the sort of wildest pieces, a little tidbit of information in that paper that came out about the study around Algonquin um, showed that in areas outside of the park where there was moose hunting, 
um, the female moose tended to abandon their calves at a higher rate than what they do in Algonquin. So moose are extremely defensive of their young. They're unlike caribou, which are you know, a, a lot, a lot less able to defend against predators and sort of take off. Uh, whereas moose will really defend their young, but they didn't do it as much when they were outside, uh, in those areas where they're being hunted by people. And I just thought this is another potential impact that we didn't even realize we're having. Right. And it, you can't always measure every impact you're having. And that's why I think it pays to be precautious. Yeah, well, and that's, I've been talking a lot about unseen consequences, uh, from as little as feeding the neighborhood raccoon up to yes. this kind of thing is we don't always see consequence, but we have to consider that there are consequences uh, to every action we take. And I think this is a great example of that is we don't know if we, if we liberalize this hunting, what will happen? There is no for sure answer. And that's terrifying. Considering Especially that they're unwilling to even track it, you know, like there, yeah. there will be consequences, but we're not even going to track them. It just seems really irresponsible, ecologically irresponsible and totally unethical. Absolutely. Um, there was another good question that I had and it fell out of my, it's just too early in the day for this really is what I'm getting to. Uh, <laughs> can, can I say something that I, I, I yeah, if you want to, you know what I, this is a message for all future guests. If at any point I'm trying to find a question and you want to take over, please, for the love that is all of goodness, do so. Okay, good. Because I, I always have a tendency to talk, you know, on and on about wolves. But I think in this particular situation, it's important to realize that um, Eastern coyotes, which is the coyote that we have in Eastern North America, including Ontario, they're sort of moving up into Northern Ontario. But there, we don't find them at all in the forested areas where moose are. They're really seem to be stuck in sort of like the pockets of agriculture or pockets of disturbed areas near towns, of which there are not that many in the north. And so it seems particularly um, unethical and based on intolerance of coyotes and want of persecuting them to to change and remove entirely bag limits, uh, you know, like basically get rid of the closed season and allow people to go in there and kill as many as they want, including pups just for the sake allegedly of boosting moose when they don't even eat moose. And I just thought like, this is such a clear indication that the government has no interest in looking at what's going on from their scientists has no interest in listening to people who, you know, are interested in basically keeping around intact predator guilds in areas to see what's going to happen because obviously coyotes have an important ecological role. Um, and, you know, they can be keystone animals in these areas and we don't know what they're doing, but they're definitely not impacting moose. So killing as many as you want for the sake of moose is not correct. And I just, I hope that people don't vilify coyotes unnecessarily, you know, because we have these ideas of what they are. And I think that they are totally adaptable and resilient and amazing animals, but often not doing what we think that they're doing. And certainly in this case, they don't deserve to be persecuted for the sake of moose. That's something with coyotes too, that I always think is incredible. And Leslie Sampson and I talk about this a lot is when you hear someone say, well, I heard a whole bunch of them. Um, and people think there's like a dozen coyotes in the backyard. It's like, no, there was two. They were just talking to each other. Mm -hmm. um, they are such magnificent animals and so, so brilliant. Uh, and we really don't give them the credit they deserve for that. Uh, and instead we do. I think it's that old Western coyotes and wolves are pests mentality that has bled over into the 21st century. It has. And no matter how high the persecution is, 
we have failed to get rid of them. So I think it is time that we start to appreciate them and stop trying to kill them off. Especially when you look at the USDA war on coyotes for the last century and a half. Very expensive, isn't it? Insanity. How much money they've, they went to war. They had chemical, literal chemical and biological warfare against coyotes in the West. And what happened, there's probably more coyotes now than there were then. So... Maybe we should rethink this strategy is 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 sort of the, the lesson there. Um, but who am I? The question that I had thought of that I, I kind of wanted to, to check in with is when we're talking about and sort of switching back to the moose population issue. Um, when we're talking about this and hunters are saying we need more moose um, and we're willing to do all of these things to get that. So why don't they not hunt moose for a season? Oh, gosh, that's I mean, I'm not a moose hunter, but I know lots of people who hunt moose for a variety of reasons. Uh, So many of them do it purely for recreation of hanging out with their friends in a big group at a moose camp Mm -hmm. um, rather than actually taking home a moose. But a lot of people in the north rely on that as their food source. uh, And so that would really be a, a burden, you know what I mean, a financial and uh, nutritional burden for them to not hunt for the year. But that being said, I think we have to be a lot more strict when we're looking at moose hunting because uh, th- there's this amazing table that the ministry came up with on their moose site that shows sort of the number of moose hunters and moose that we had in the 80s when the population um you know, basically was starting to be heavily managed through the system that we have now. Mm -hmm. And also looking at the differences in how we hunt and where we hunt and how much we hunt and what the success is. And it's changed so dramatically because of technology and more roads and more access that all of those things are coming together to shape our ability to count, not just count moves, but also kill them. And we have to take all of those things into consideration And because we are so much more successful than we used to be, we have to maybe hunt less. You know what I mean? Like fewer tags are being given out simply because they know that uh, those uh, most of those tags or not most of them, but more than used to be will be successful, i.e. more moose are being killed with fewer tags because we have better technology to kill moose and better access to them. And so. I don't I don't know that not killing moose for a year would be a good idea. It's also one year in terms of studying what that would do for moose. One year is kind of pitiful. You know what I mean? You got to get at least three years of data to see any kind of trend. And even that is pretty short term. Um, But I do think that there are a lot of things that we could do. And I think a lot of it has to come down to looking very um, intensely at what's going on with the calf population Mm -hmm. and Also asking ourselves important questions like, is it important to hunters that they want to successfully kill a moose and they don't really care what the size of the moose is? Because I feel like, at least from the perspective of hunting moose being really important to people, filling people's freezer full of meat in the north, killing a calf is not as good as killing an adult moose, right? You get a lot more meat on an adult. So I think that if we were to kill fewer calves now so that we, if they can hunt larger numbers of adults later, it's a cost benefit analysis, right? When you're looking at it from that perspective and it's, you sort of take out ethics and the ecological part, you have to really ask yourself pointed questions about what you want now versus what you want in the future. And I, I know that the moose hunters have been really trying to do that. And that's why they've had all these meetings across 
Ontario and coming up with, you know, 19 different opinions about one question. It was a lot of the complaints that they get. Like if you put uh, 20 moose hunters in a room, they will tell you 20 different answers to one question that you ask them. So it's impossible, of course, to make everyone happy. But I think we really need to ask ourselves pointed questions about why we want to hunt moose, right? I think that's that's a great conversation to have. And I, I wonder, and again, I, I get into this. I had someone... Um, message me via Instagram actually the other day asking me about my thoughts on trophy hunting um, because I will you know I, I have on this program talked about um, canned hunting overseas uh, I've talked about grizzly bear hunting in BC and I'll sometimes reference trophy hunting in the concept of what used to be called sport hunting it's killing for the sake of killing um, and this person tried to sort of engage me and I gave some responses but then I was just fed misinformation back so uh, i think a great example of this was that this person told me the entire economy of africa uh which i i then correct i said you know africa is a continent but nonetheless but they said the entire continent of africa's economy is based on trophy hunting now um and you know 10 seconds on google indicates that's less than one percent of most countries gdp uh, like it helps, but it's not that significant, all things considered. And I wonder how, like, how often does this kind of stuff become a problem when we're trying to make an actual decision, when we're trying to have a real conversation about this? Because I like, you know, asking the question, why don't we hunt moose for a year? You gave a great reason not to. It's not like there's no, there's no necessary value in doing that. Um, but well, there might be, there yes, might be, <laughs> there might be, yes, but sorry for this, for, for the sake of why I brought it up, the, the, it would not provide the solution, uh, overnight. I don't think so. No. And I think you, I think it's, it's very important to look at the emotional reasons why people do what they do. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. this is something that scientists almost never look at. Uh, and I think it's important to criticize science for that because, um, Usually science exists because people are want to do something or want to change what they're doing or want more or want, you know, something for cheaper. But we have to look at the in the intent behind our actions to understand how and why those actions are going to play out and what impact they're going to have on our environment, which is of course what we are. We are our environment. We often forget that. And uh emotions really never play into um when you're looking at pure science, when you're collecting data, but it policy is almost always based on emotion. It's almost always based on, um, you know, common interests and, and consultation periods and science is often sort of shoved off the table. And I, and I think that people hold on to misinformation when their personal set of values is confronted. Um, and they, are, they become very defensive. You know what I mean? I do notice that when I have conversations with people, I either have a science hat on or I have my personal hat on. And it's hard to wear both because you have to think logically, but you can't think logically when you're feeling emotional about something. Uh, or if you can, it's, it's very difficult, you know? And I think here, I think the big part of this proposal is that it's not just unscientific, but it is also unethical. And it's sort of that double whammy that really irks me, not just as a scientist, but as a, but as a human being. Um, and so I guess that's why I'm sort of really desperate for people to to step up the way they did in 2015 when, you know, more than 10,000 people came out and said, you can't do this. It doesn't make sense scientifically. It's not going to help moose. 
potentially could have wide-ranging negative impacts on the ecosystem, and it's just not right. And the government backed down and said, you know what, you're right, we're, gonna, we're not going to let this happen. We're going to do other things. And I think that's what I want people to say again, because we have a different government in power now. Uh, they have appointed the Big Game Management Advisory Committee. You know, um, I mean, a lot of those people are um, in hunting tourism in the north or work for the Ontario Federation of Anglers and Hunters or they're personally trophy hunters or moose hunters or what have you. A big group of people who have very similar value sets. And that's what's being represented in those recommendations, which the ministry has basically responded to comprehensively in their uh, proposed regulatory changes. So we have to speak up for the rest of Ontario because Ontario is one community, one ecosystem, really, when you look at it, when you scale back like that. And uh, and we all have a right to speak our minds and, and have our voices heard, not just the people who are killing these animals. Well, and I was just going to ask that question. Um, this comes up all the time. I live in Southern Ontario. I'm in Hamilton, Steel City, right? Like, So how dare you have an opinion about exactly. that? Exactly. Right? Yeah. That comes up um, as soon as I'm identified as someone from Hamilton. Um, it's nope, you don't get an opinion, which is funny because there's a lot of hunters out of Hamilton. But yeah, there are. It's, it's There's a lot of hunters in Ontario. There's more hunters than there are moose able to be hunted, I recently saw. Yeah, so <laughs> it's it's an interesting dichotomy, though, and it is something, you know, it's, it's a difficult conversation to have, and I'm very glad we're able to have this conversation and identify, like, we have to represent, we have to understand the importance of emotion and story, mm. I think. Okay, now, now there's more stuff being dragged around upstairs. Uh, <laughs> this is wonderful. Um, it makes for great audio. Uh, we're keeping this part in now because I'm frustrated by it uh, and everyone else has to suffer with me. But tangentially, where was I? Yeah, so it's it's this weird balance and I think you really kind of nailed it on the head uh, and I'm very glad we're having this conversation because it's not had enough of we can't have science without story and we can't have story without science. We, we have to find a way to bring these two things together because... And, and I talk about this, and again, I'll, I'll use fur as an example, I'll use uh, veganism as an example, and any of these subjects. If you go your entire life being told not only is this activity good, but just, that it is right uh, by your entire community, and then some 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, someone else comes along and says, no, it's not good, you're going to defend yourself emotionally, and that makes sense. Uh, the example I'll often use to try and get people on board with this concept is if I came up to you and said, you're a bad person for liking hockey. Like, you would just be taken aback. How do you even possibly respond to that? Everybody loves hockey. My family plays hockey. My grandparents played hockey. I have wonderful memories of learning to skate on the pond with my grandfather, right? Like, it's a very jarring thing to say to someone. So while we have to challenge this, we also have to keep that in mind in terms of our communication. Um, and that's, I, that's one of the reasons I, I always enjoy talking with you and the work that you do is you, you manage to find a way to kind of balance all of these things. And I think the best advocacy does, uh, is it brings together, like, let's look at the science, but let's also consider what's the impact realistically in the day-to-day, day-to-day lives of people. Uh, cause you can't eliminate that. No, and I don't think we should. I think that, uh, we have to remember ultimately when you sit down at a table with people who have opposite values that you have, that we're all human beings at a table. You know, we are all impacted by this, whether or not you live in Hamilton or Sault Ste. Marie or Smooth Rock Falls. 
you, we are impacted by the things that we do to our environment. Uh, we're impacted by the things that we say and do to each other, which I wish I wish people would be more civil, you know, people who disagree. That's not always possible because things get really emotionally charged. But I do think that people have a, you know, I went into wildlife biology because I thought I don't really love being with people and talking to people. I think I'll just go and work on animals. And then I ended up doing so little of that and working mainly from the people side of things. And I think that is the reality of most wildlife biologists. And it just goes to show you that you can't separate those two things that they, they do come together as a package and the cap package is complex and it gets heated. And, but we are all still human beings. And as human beings, we are one species in an amazing web of species that, you know, we are trying to coexist with, even if we are doing a poor job a lot of the time. Amazing. Now, what can people do? So clearly we need people to take action. There's going to be a link in the show notes, but what is the ask? What are we asking people to go out and do to, at the very least, combat the poor scientific aspect of this policy? We are asking people to exercise their environmental rights in Ontario. So we always forget that we have the Environmental Bill of Rights here. Mm -hmm. We need to exercise it. I'm a little bit nervous under this government that we may lose those rights. Uh, they seem to be less inclined to listen to us. But you basically go on the Environmental Registry and you look at the proposals that the government comes out with. So there's a specific page for this proposal saying, here are the regulatory changes we want for wolf and coyote, including all the details, like we're doing it in this area, which is, I think I measured it uh, using a GIS and it was something like 775,000 square kilometers of Ontario were impacted by these changes. Wow. Um, we're, we're, you know, loosening wolf hunting regulations. We want to let people wipe out coyotes if they want. No reporting. Here's the closed seasons that are shorter now. All those details are unlined. And then it says, um, here's a comment button. All you do is click on the comment button. But if you don't know how to do that, and sometimes the website can be a little bit clunky to use, there's also our action center, which provides some basic information about what we've already looked at and the concerns that we have. And so you can submit your own comment with any kind of feelings you have about it. You don't have to be a scientist to participate. I think it's important that a lot of non-scientists participate, but we've given people some direction so that they have a jumping off point and they can submit their comment. The government is legally required to look at all those comments and sort of summarize and respond to them in a... Uh, very brief way and make a decision. And then that decision is posted on the same website where the proposal is posted. And ultimately we will see if they listen um, because they listened once. And I think when you really get down to the nitty gritty of the situation, I really hope they listen again because the arguments are the same. They're unchanged. Um, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's wise that we move forward with this proposal. And I certainly don't think it's just, so I hope everyone takes action. It only takes a couple of minutes and and not just for this proposal, but also for other environmental proposals on the website. Um, have a look and see what you're interested in. There's lots to do with wildlife and the environment and all kinds of different things. And unless people are using these platforms, we may lose them. So I hope that is very much not the case. To take action, check the links in the show notes for this episode. You can learn more about Hannah and the vital work undertaken by Earthroots at earthroots.org. I want to thank Hannah for her time and her ongoing work at Earthroots, and all of you for listening. Remember, you can support the show and ease the burden of hosting from the Fur Bears by becoming a patron for as little as 25 to 50 cents per episode, just a couple of bucks a month. Visit patreon.com slash defender radio to learn more. 
And you can follow me on social media at Defender Radio on Facebook and Twitter or Howie Michael on Instagram to see fun photos from my days, the occasional rant, and a whole lot of pictures of JJ the Hamilton Hound. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio and the Fur Bears, reminding you to be kind and stay informed and stay strong. <laughs>